0: This is the Living Vertizano Podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Today's episode focuses on the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast, found in Matthew 13, 31-35. Together, we will be discussing the role of the church in participating in the expansion of the kingdom of heaven.
1: Hi, I'm Nick.
0: I'm Natasha.
2: I'm Brittany,
1: and I'm Derek, and we are the Living Vertizano podcast back with you guys. Um, Last week, we addressed the parable of the weeds, uh, and this week, we're going to be jumping back just a little bit to in between the uh, telling of the parable of the weeds and the explanation of the parable of the weeds uh, to the parables of the mustard seed in Matthew 13, 31 through 35. And so if you have your Bibles, turn there to follow along. If not, listen up, because uh, we're going to have Brittany go ahead and read that for us.
2: The parables of the mustard seed and the yeast. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that birds come and perch on in its branches." He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. He so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world.
1: All right. Thank you for that, Brittany. Um, so there's the parables, pretty short and sweet. Uh, so without further ado, let's jump in. What what are some observations or questions or, or things that we might be taking from these parables today?
0: So I think one of the first things uh, that jumps out to me is his use of the mustard seed, which Jesus in other places and here in Scripture uses as kind of this, this super small thing that starts out, um, and when I, when I think about the context of him sharing this, he's kind of beginning this, the kingdom of heaven with just, a these disciples who, you know, were other tradesmen, they weren't, you know, the best and the brightest. And so he's beginning with the kingdom of heaven itself is beginning with, from very, very humble origins. And so I think, um, that gives us hope, you know, when we look around and we feel like, well, who am I? I'm one, you know, what difference can I make? Um, but this is exactly what Jesus intended for the kingdom of heaven to come from the places that are least expected. And then to grow into, into this, this large, this large place, or, um, in this case, this large tree large shrub, um, to represent the kingdom of heaven.
2: So when we talked about this yesterday, I looked up um kind of the characteristics of a mustard seed um to kind of see if there was anything there and one thing that I saw that mustard seeds like to grow in wet environments so they like the the moisture and um you know we know that Jesus is the living water so I think you know intentional or non-intentional I'm going to say intentional um that the mustard seed grows in wet conditions and Jesus is living water that we, you know, we're going to grow if we are close to him and we stay rooted in soil that he has moved in. So that's what I got from the mustard
0: seed. It's also a fairly invasive plant. So when we look out, I don't know, here in California, we look out, um, like when you're driving down the highway and you see, you can see those yellow flowers kind of littering the, the you know, the fields as you drive by and it just continues to grow and kind of take over whatever is there. You know, um, we were talking about with the kids yesterday, uh, if you were to drop some in your backyard, your parents probably wouldn't be very happy because, you know, it's, if, if you're not harvesting mustard, it's, it's going to be like a weed. And so it's going to kind of grow and take over your grass and your planters and all of that. So, um, good to be part of, of a growing kingdom that's invasive, I guess, as it remains connected to its source of life, which is living water.
1: I think the thing that that stuck out to me um, as a result of conversation from yesterday but also just in in reading it, um, I know the way we've been talking about the the mustard seed is as a shrub, um, but this, the words that are used here in the passage is that when it grows, it it uh, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, Um, which maybe is a a little bit of an overstatement, but I think the words that follow that are maybe why that statement is so important, and that is becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Um, And I think for me that really sticks out because... I guess, hold on, pause that conversation and let's remember that this thing that we're talking about right now, these parables that we're talking about, we are talking about what it looks like to live in the kingdom of heaven, right? Not what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like when we get to eternity necessarily, but what it actually looks like here and now among us. Jump back into that conversation I was having now and recognizing that when we are living in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is a place where people, where birds can can find safety, where they can settle down, where they can feel secure, which is very counter to the world that we live in today because it doesn't take very much looking around to feel unsettled, insecure, unsafe. And yet, the kingdom of heaven contradicts that. It, it, it is a place of safety. It is a place where the birds can settle in and, and take up residence. Um. And I mean the 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 use of birds in itself is is interesting.
3: So it's an in- interesting that you pointed out of, about the birds perching in the in the in the bush or the tree because at our table, Brittany had discussed how. You know, the birds were our enemy, so to speak, earlier in the passage, um, earlier in chapter 13, and the very thing that came to destroy us, now we help to continue its life. We give it a place, um, not that we give it peace, but it can come and find peace in relationship with us, the very thing that came to destroy us. And so it's this whole counter idea of, of this upside down kingdom, which we had heard that discussed on, on Sunday as well. And so it's very counter to the kingdoms that have been established on earth. Um, instead of, you know, trying to exact revenge on something that tried to destroy us, we are turning the other cheek and we are like that living water, so to speak, by being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we come from, it's just a very counter idea. It's it's an upside down kingdom. and. Instead of trying to take life, we're trying to um, live in the manner that Jesus did and give life. And so as the kingdom grows, as we grow, we offer refuge, or we should be offering refuge for the very thing that tried to destroy us before.
1: And I think, you know, while while the connection that's made is one where we look at it and go, well, you know, he... He talks about birds here in, in verse 32. He also talked about birds back in like verse uh, 4 of chapter 13 and just say that there must be a relation. I think we can even go further and, and say just by even looking at the parable we addressed last week and this reality of the coexistence of wheat and weeds together and the responsibility that the wheat has to remain rooted and... Um,
0: we should expect that there will be weeds in our kingdom. So there will be the birds that are plucking up the seed in our kingdom.
3: He just builds. It's it's just like in the Sermon on the Mount where he continues to build and build and build. Like it's a journey. We don't stop. Like if the growing stops, something is wrong because there's like we we're never going to get it all right. And so it's it's just this continual reminder that there is still more work to do. In this kingdom, you never stop growing. And I mean, you know, that's in in fields like farmers hope that they never see growing stop. Otherwise, that means the end of their their livelihood. And it doesn't mean the end of our livelihood, but if we stop growing, maybe there's something wrong in our soil and we need to go back to the farmer and say, do you need to till me? Do I have rock or something going on? So it's like, it's just a building. Um, and I think we've seen that throughout Matthew.
1: And I guess when we think about mustard seed and mustard plants, as you were talking about in Natasha in the backyard, or it, like if, if you planted this in the backyard, your parents would probably not be happy unless you were actually trying to grow harvest mustard. <laughs> mustard, I think. <laughs> um, but this this idea that you know the mustard seed, the plant, it's not it, it is us as, as individuals, but it's also more than that. It, it's us as a people of God, and, and the expansion of the kingdom. It, it, it's it's individual and collective. It's it's one and all. It, it's just I, I don't know. It's the church, right? It it's, goes back to this conversation on the church and. And the role of the individual in the midst of the whole of the kingdom of heaven, and and being a place of safety and refuge for all um, who may who may come.
3: So last week we were supposed to live among them, and now we are supposed to, you know, help be a place of refuge and peace for the very weed that may have been trying to choke us out.
1: And so now you bring in Jeremiah, right? This idea of. Uh, the people in exile are not just supposed to exist or survive, but they are actually supposed to, to work towards the uh, thriving of their captors.
0: Well, and we know this, right? Because Jesus talks about how the kingdom is here, right? It's it's come now, and there are everyone living in the kingdom as a citizen of heaven. They just may not be submitted to the king. And so um, even like we talk about the birds being, you know, a part of being enemies of the king and yet still resting in, you know, his his peace and his his presence, um, but still refusing to participate in what the kingdom's activities are.
2: Well, that leads a good segue into the yeast. I think so. <laughs> and, you know, how yeast completely changes flour. It completely changes the molecular makeup of flour and pro- produces this reaction that causes it to rise. And you have to think that if we're the yeast and we're living among the flour. I think about work and I work. I don't, I don't know how many people are believers, but if I'm the yeast and I continually have that thankful, that grateful attitude, I have that kingdom mindset, the people around me are going to change. They're going to, it's going to mix into, even if it's 60 pounds, cause 60 pounds is a lot of flour. Even if it's 60 pounds of flour, it's, there are ha- The flower doesn't get a choice if they change. I mean, Jesus is contagious. The joy that comes from knowing him is contagious.
0: Yeah, and I think as the yeast, you have to be willing to be mixed into. Absolutely. So that kind of comes back full circle to this conversation that we were having last week and being the wheat and choosing not to uproot ourselves and take on the role of the farmer, but allowing him to, to need us. Into the wheat that exists, or into the flour. Sorry, I'm getting all my, all my ingredients <laughs> confused. <laughs> um, but, but to be kneaded into the flour, so that we can be used by Him to transform the kingdom.
3: If you think about it in the context of, I, and I don't know why I used sixty pounds, but there, there's twelve disciples, right? So that's like five weeds for every wheat, so to speak, in mixed in in this idea. So it takes way less yeast to affect flour. And so like we we don't have to feel like we're like like this superhuman because he did it with 12. If he can do it with 12, like he can do it with 4 or 8 or 1. Like so he can affect great change if we have the heart of living among the weeds, being different, being like living this upside down kingdom. I love how he says like the kingdom of heaven is, he explains it in a way like that they can put context behind. Like this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a mustard seed. Like you alluded to um, earlier about they're very agricultural minded. Like Mm -hmm. he puts it in context where they can understand. And so, I just think it's it's funny that that whole sixty, and I think about the twelve and how the math works out perfectly. Like what's twelve times five is sixty, right? So, um, I just think that's ironic to me that he used the sixty. Um, but regardless, it's just it's um, maybe that's another way God just works everything out because the math works out perfect twelve five sixty. So it doesn't take as much yeast to affect the flower. And I think that's a great thing. Like the kingdom of heaven start, it may start small, but a little bit can affect a great amount. If we choose every day to live into that, being a wheat among the weeds or being different or living that upside down life. And I
1: mean, maybe I'm stepping into something that I shouldn't, but, um, I guess the thought that went through my head, you kept saying it only takes a little bit of yeast to affect much more flour. And then I thought in my head, well, but what would happen to that flour? And maybe one of you know who bakes some, but what would happen to flour if instead of just a little bit of yeast, you actually like over yeasted the flour?
2: It would go big. Like it would come out of the the oven.
1: Would it like... Would it ruin the bread? Or would the bread still taste right? I
0: don't think so. Are we looking at 30, 60, Because if times you think...
3: <laughs>
0: if <laughs> That's you what think, came to my mind. If you think,
2: like... So it creates a chemical reaction. What that chemical reaction is carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that takes, it tastes very good. <laughs> like an excess amount of of mm. something trapped in there.
1: I guess the, the reason why I asked that is because I, I'm sitting here thinking and... I think the implications continue to point us into this reality that while it is, uh, while there can be benefit gained from coming together as the people of God, we got to be very careful only existing in places as just the people of God. Like a holy huddle is what I've heard it called before. We got to be very careful just being this overbearing amount of yeast because we've been called to be that meager beginning in the midst of the world around us.
0: So, so uh, kind of going back to your question, um, so I'm thinking about this like an enzyme re- reaction, right? And so our product, one of the products, is carbon dioxide. Um, but the substrate, right, is provided by the flour, which is what's getting broken down by the yeast. Can
1: you, for for those the of us carb- who have no hydrates, idea what you're talking yeah, about, what's the a sugar. substrate? <laughs>
0: So, so the flour, the flour yeah. is, is providing, is, is what's getting kind of eaten up by the yeast to produce the carbo or the, carbon the,
2: carbohid- the carbohydrates, the energy
0: in the, source. Okay. Yeah. So, and that, and so essentially you're left, if you have too much yeast packed into a, or even if you don't mix it well, right. Then you're left with this over concentration in an area like you were talking about, but then you're also, you've lost potential. Hmm. And so that's kind of what struck me as you were saying this is as as the yeast, right, as the the thing that's supposed to be the catalyst, right, that's supposed to cause change, that's supposed to make things happen um, for the kingdom, on behalf of the kingdom, in partnership with Christ, Um, I'm not actually living up to my full potential because I'm not surrounding myself with enough... I use substrate, carbohydrates. Okay, I'm not surrounding myself with enough of the flour to actually make optimal change. Hmm. Preach.
1: And so again, it is it is a continuation of that conversation that was started last week where, like, man, we have, we have a responsibility. Not just a, we don't just have the benefit of saying, I exist in the kingdom of heaven, and that's great. Like that, that's not where we, that that's the purpose of our life is not to just exist in that reality that we exist in the kingdom of heaven and we're all good. Like the purpose of existing in the kingdom of heaven is to continue to expand the kingdom of heaven and right. and bring more in, surround ourselves with more flowers. So that way we can actually, God through us can make that change that he literally died to make all those years
3: ago.
2: Well, I think last week, didn't you, Derek, did you say something about how do we change the weeds into wheat?
3: I did say something to that effect.
2: This is this is exactly how you do it. I mean, it's, and it has to be the, the perfect recipe. It has to be exactly what, you know, God is calling or it's not going to work or it's not, or like you said, it's going to lose potential. Or if you don't put enough yeast in, it's not going to rise enough and it's not going to get... that reaction's not going to happen enough to make any difference. So I think that's how we change, how God can change the weeds into wheat. You're looking for the perfect spirit-led recipe. And that's why it's important to live vertically.
1: I was going to say, this comes back to this again. This is why it's so important for us to make sure that we are listening to what God is saying to us and then living that out and paying attention to what is going on in front of us and listening to what is going on around us, taking that to God, saying, all right, God, what am I supposed to do? Because I'm not a baker, and I don't know what the right ingredients are. But as I surrender to him and submit to his leadership and his lordship in my life in every situation and allow him to speak into those, we start to have this uh, winning combination.
3: I think uh, when... When we like, I may have talked about this last week about being comfortable, and so like if we're comfortable in our circle of believers, kind of like we've kind of alluded to, I think we miss out or we can miss out on that potential. It it, it like we 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 aren't mixing all the ingredients because it's easy to stay together like in a nucleus of our body, but we talked about being uncomfortable in certain places that. That it's like outside of our what what is normal to us. So going to places and hanging out with people that we wouldn't normally do. Um, and so I just think it's it's amazing how these conversations seem to come back to the same things every time. like, growth takes stretching. Like if you want, if you want a pizza to look like a P pe- if you want dough to like be shaped like a pizza, there's like stretching involved. You have to go out of what's comfortable or normal. Cause I don't know when you mix it in like the, the mixer, it's kind of in a ball. And so you have to let it rise and do what it does to get it to do exactly. And so yeah, it takes the right ingredients in the right circumstances in the right hands to see growth take place or to see like that 30, 60 or 100. So I, I just think I what Matthew what Jesus has done and what Matthew has recorded is just I, I just love how it's building and building and building to this never getting never getting comfortable like there's there's so much more if we keep reaching for more or keep reaching for Jesus there's more.
2: Working through all the dough, kneading is n- it's hard work. I unless you have a KitchenAid, <laughs> gets better. True. <laughs> True. So are you saying
1: Jesus is like a kitchen divine KitchenAid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: but that KitchenAid mixer works style. real hard. It does. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just that's uncomfortable. Like that takes mm-hmm. effort, mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes being the yeast it takes effort.
0: I think about that, and I think for us in this r- room, we're all. Like we've grown up in the church. We have kind of a different story than some people. I mean, newer Christians, they probably have a host of, of just by default, a host of non-Christian acquaintances or friends. And I, I think for us, sometimes, and I, I don't know, and I, I imagine this gets harder as you get older and you kind of start to develop your little circles of, of friends and you have your people. And if you're not constantly on the move, Or having to make changes in your life or changing, you know, careers or you, you get this group of people and probably over time you start to all look a lot alike, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's great because hopefully you're being like, you started out as the yeast, And so you, you transform that whole group, but then now you're all, you know, now you're all yeast and you're gathered in this place. And so I just, I feel like it's very easy to just sit and coast Um, it's much harder to be looking intentionally, man, I don't have enough. I can't list 15 people who I'm trying to, who I'm trying to affect. I can't list 15 weeds or, or 15, you know, flat handfuls of flour. I I can't do that. And so, you know, I'm going to partner up with a buddy and we're going to go find who are these 15 people. And I'm going to go make friends or I'm going to go hang out in a coffee shop, or I'm going to go sit at the local parks and I'm going to make friends who don't yet know Jesus and I'm going to be I'm going to be that change agent in their lives to help build the kingdom of heaven. Um, that is uncomfortable, and that is hard work. Um, and I don't think it's the norm for Christians.
1: And I think it also originates, again, going back to this vertical conversation. It all originates with a life that is willing to be submitted to Jesus and His needing and His work. And his call in your life, I mean, Matthew twenty eight is pretty clear. Jesus says, "Go and make disciples." So, like, we don't have this option of, "Oh, we don't have to go to the park and meet people," or like, "We don't, we don't have to try to find the the unsaved people around us." Um, no, that like that's actually part of our job as Christians, and so. This life that walks in that direction is a life of obedience. It is a life that is submitted to the king, living in the kingdom.
3: And I don't think that we can just walk through life and walk through walk by acquaintances and expect that without having any conversations or minimal conversations and think that that is going to be enough. If we're not taking the time to invest in people, and I know that that's not, like, not, everything's not about relationships. I know that Jesus is far bigger than that. Like, we've seen where he's done things and no one was involved. Like, I think of Paul and, like, what he did with Paul. Um, however, in in that call to make disciples, there it's work. It's like the kneading of the dough. Like, there is work involved. So I can't just expect that I walk through life and that that is going to be enough. And I say that to myself more than anyone else, because I don't know if I could write fifteen down. I could write a few, um, but I'm guilty of not of not being as intentional as I should be about making time for people. Jesus made time for people, and what did it do? It changed their lives. Like He made time for people, and and didn't do it in like some like. He just had conversations with people. Whether it's, like, I think of the woman of the well. Like, that's a great example. Conversations changed a life. That's all he did. He talked to her. Um, And so I just think we can't expect that we can just walk through life and say, well, I'm living differently, and that's enough. Or I've said hi, and I've been kind, and that's enough. Like, there's more to this call to go and make disciples than just, like, what's on the surface. Like, I think it requires going deeper. Um and so I I don't know. I just I think it is m- m- far more than than I'm not going to say that it's just me, but I I think there are more people who could say that it's far more than just what we've made it out to be. Um I think there are many in the church could say that it's far more. I mean, I've even heard someone say that it's not their job, that it's up to the pastor to go and make disciples. And if that's the way we think, we've missed it. Mm-hmm. Um, like mm-hmm. we're not excluded from that. Whoever you are, that wasn't just like those are followers. They weren't. They weren't called pastors. They were disciples. Disciples are followers. They were followers of Jesus. If we want to be a Christian, we're a follower of Jesus. So part of that following is going and making disciples. If we've absolved ourselves because we don't have a title, we're guilty anyway. Like. I mean, it's, I don't want it to sound like harsh. That's not the intent, like, but that's the reality. It is, that is the reality. Uh, no one is absolved from that. So, I mean, I think that was a, a God call out or a good call out. And I think we have to like take that into, into account every day that it takes more than just, you know, waving a hand and being a friendly neighbor.
0: I mean, Jesus set a really good example for this, right? With how to make disciples. He spent, I mean, he spent large amounts of time talking to the crowds, um, but most of his time was spent with just a handful of people that he was doing life with, coaching them, um, and then would send them out and then say, okay, come on back. How'd it go? We check in, right? And then he give him a couple tips, ask him some questions and, you know, send them out again. And this is kind of like this this living life together process um, that is required in, in what you're saying. It goes beyond just saying, hey, how's it going once a week or or less, you know, depending on where we're at.
3: And in that, he gave him a chance to fail, like to get it wrong. Like mm-hmm. he wasn't overlording and saying it, you know, like you need to do this, 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 and this. He gave him a task, they went out. If they got it wrong, he was good about telling him, but I, you know I think there's just like you said, there's just so much more to it than.
1: Well, and I think even in this chapter alone, you see that modeled, right? I mean, there in chapter thirteen, he's speaking to masses, but then he's explaining the parables to his disciples on two different occasions. He goes separates from this like ministry of proclamation separates from that to just have this ministry of discipleship with his disciples where he is explaining and, and helping kind of pull the, the, the lid off of the conversation that he is trying to have. I think the, the thing uh, kind of the last piece of this passage, which also in my mind, it kind of goes in with what you were saying, Derek About, you know, it's not just this wave, but there is this doing life. There is this, I guess what I was hearing in my head is there's this conversation that must exist between us and the other. Yes, God is God and he can do the miraculous like Paul. But there's a lot more instances of where transformation takes place in the midst of conversation, in the midst of relationship. And so the closing of this parable is this statement where it says uh, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. Right. And, and, um, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled. What was spoken through the prophet. And, And previously we've had this conversation on, on why Jesus spoke in parables. I mean, he, he addresses it earlier in Matthew 13, but then This is actually not even a statement that Jesus is making. This is not red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, these are black letters, which mean that this is a commentary that the writer of Matthew is inserting. And the commentary that he says is, So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And if you're reading that, that is actually a direct quote from Psalm 78, um, verse 2. And if you read Psalm 78, which I'm going to take a moment and just read the first few verses of it, um, maybe this begins to reveal to us, uh, another facet of why Jesus was speaking in parables. And I think it kind of goes along with what you were saying in, in this, like, the responsibility that we have in the relationship with others and so this psalm 78 is actually uh from asaph um and it says my people hear my teaching listen to the words of my mouth i will open my mouth with a parable i will utter hidden things things from of old and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but would keep his commands. And this, this passage goes on for a, a number of more verses, and the verses that ensue are a retelling of the story of Israel up to that point, um, uh, of their wilderness wanderings, of their... Uh, overcoming uh, and conquering in the promised land of their deliverance from Egypt and the oppression that was seen there. And it's this story that Asaph is telling. And in, in the, as he tells the story, he, he is telling the story because he is saying, it is this story that is going to bring back the generations to come to faithfulness to God, to obedience to God. And so I can't, I can't help but think that maybe a piece of why Jesus is talking in parables is for the sake of telling the story, right? Of of bringing the people back. And there has been this tension that has existed between the religious elites, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the people that Jesus was often found in ministry with like eating with which is like the down and outs and the lowest of the lows there's been this tension that has existed and i i can't help but believe that the ones that were hearing these stories and actually hearing right whoever has ears let them hear like we talked about last week the ones that have ears and were hearing were the ones that were the down and outs because they were hearing these stories they were making these connections and realizing oh my goodness this is the messiah This is the one who who we've heard tales about. And so it's the story that Jesus is telling through these parables that that is awakening the hearts of people and bringing them back to him. And so when I think about that with us today, yes, again, God is God and he can do things. He can transform a life without an encounter from anybody else but we are also the hands and feet of God. And we have this responsibility to tell the story of what God has done and of his faithfulness and of his loving kindness and of his, his sacrifice and what it has done in our lives and then, then show what it has done in our lives. So that way, as we live that story, the hearts of the weeds can be awakened and transformation can take place, that the yeast can take hold in the life of the flour and delicious bread comes forth.
3: I think if we put it in the context of the harvest with like the soil, the 30, 60 or 100, like by telling those who come behind us, by making those connections with the people we encounter on a daily life, by doing what Jesus called us to do, that's how we can see the 30 the 60 the 100 not that we do it like the stories are the stories that god gave us but right. they're not our stories and so like when we share them um i get overwhelmed because i recognize like i couldn't have done these things on my own like i'm not that good like these stories that you've given me jesus like i can't i can't recreate i couldn't even write a story that good like i, I just couldn't and so, you know, we, we have to be sharing them if we want to see the, the weeds changed. If we want to see the weeds become wheat, if we want to see our enemy be able to be sustained by us, we have to tell those stories. If we, we go from the bird who was trying to destroy us to the bird that we're helping to see thrive and live. And so tell the story. It's good. Like, Jesus is good. What he's done is good. Like, you are good, Jesus. I'm not going to even act like you're not here because you are. So, Jesus, you are good. And so, you know, my my charge or challenge to people this week would be tell the story. And if there's nobody to tell the story to, find the person. Like, make the time. Find the person. Start to connect so that you can tell them the story.
1: So we've got two essentially marching orders from these two parables today, right? Identify the people in your life that are the flower and be prepared to tell the story of what God has done. And if if we can't identify somebody, well, then we better find somebody. And we we have got to be ready to tell the story of what God is doing. And not just what he did, you know, Decades ago, maybe for some of us, when we first accepted him as Lord and Savior of our life, but what he is doing actively, how he is currently working.
0: Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.